0: M S W Media. Blues <inky noise> with swearing. Till the beans, till the beans, the
1: beans, the beans.
0: Hello and welcome to The Daily Beans for Wednesday, October 14th, 2020. Today, the Department of Justice responds to Judge Reggie Walton and the BuzzFeed Jason Leopold suit. And it's just as you'd expect. Trump files for an emergency stay in the Mazar's case. FinCEN received a suspicious activity report that Flynn received more than half a million dollars from Turkey while National Security Advisor. One of the Apollo Group's billionaires that lent to Kushner's bailout of a 666 Fifth Fifth Avenue building has a $50 million tie to Jeffrey Epstein. A cable was cut in Virginia, crippling the voter registration site on the last day to register to vote in that state. The terrorists that plotted to kidnap and kill Gretchen Whitmer also had sights on Democratic Virginia Governor Northam. And China, Russia and Saudi Arabia are set to join the U.N. Human Rights Council. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Big show today. I'll be speaking with Democratic candidate in Florida's 3rd District, Adam Christensen, who's working to unseat Ted Yoho. And if we flip Florida's 3rd, we flip Florida. And if we flip Florida, we flip the country. I'll also be joined by David Enrich, who penned a piece as part of the New York Times story about uh, a billionaire named Leon Black and how he inexplicably gave $50 million to Jeffrey Epstein after Epstein was convicted And finally, Dana Goldberg will be joining me for the good news, and we're looking forward to that. So we have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, before we get to the lead, this is breaking, and it's interesting. So you know the whole thing with Reggie Walton and the the BuzzFeed Mueller redactions, uh, the FOIA lawsuit with BuzzFeed and Epic, Jason Leopold from BuzzFeed and Epic. And uh, basically, on October 6th, Trump tweeted uh, calling for the declassification of everything related to the Russia hoax and the Hillary Clinton emails. No redactions. Do it now. And so then Jason Leopold filed a thing with the case that he's already working on in, in front of Judge Reggie Walton. Reggie Walton, who had found that some of the redactions by Bill Barr in the Mueller report were inappropriate and said that Bill Barr lacked candor. Uh, And, you know, mischaracterized his summary of the findings of the Mueller investigation. Well, Leopold said, hey, hey, the president just waived classification on everything that has to do with Russia. So since we're, you know, we're already doing this case with the Mueller report and redactions, we would like to request an emergency request for the entire unredacted Mueller report. And uh, Reggie Walton said, hey, yeah, that seems like a waiver. Uh, All right. You have um, until October 13th, Department of Justice to respond to this. And the White House has until this time. And then you guys have to confer. And then everybody come back on the 16th and tell me why you haven't waived uh, the classification of, of these redactions in the Mueller report. And... Somebody from the DOJ responded today, as they were supposed to, and in this response it says, uh, "...the White House Counsel's Office informed the Department of Justice that there is no order requiring wholesale declassification or disclosure of documents at issue in this matter." The department was further informed that the president's statements on Twitter were not self-executing declassification orders and do not require the declassification of any particular documents. Instead, the president has authorized the attorney general to declassify documents as part of his ongoing review of intelligence activities related to the 2016 presidential election and certain related matters. The attorney general has not ordered the declassification and release of any of the redacted material in this case based on the president's tweets. (laughs) So even though the president and the Department of Justice have argued that his tweets are the rule, including, for example, uh, banning out transgender people from being in the military, serving in the military... Uh, it's just one of multiple examples. Uh, they are now saying, no, 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 not this time. That's not, no, no, that's not what the White House means. We've, we've spoken to the White House and what they're saying is that, uh, no, nope, just kidding. Um, That's not a declassification order for anything and everything, even though it was. <laughs> and uh, a, a fun little side note to this story. The a uh, person responding on behalf of the Department of Justice is named Weisenheimer. So I thought that was uh, just a little note just worth mentioning. Now, lead story today comes from the FinCEN files at BuzzFeed News. This is more BuzzFeed stuff. In 2017, Michael Flynn, President Trump's first national security advisor, acknowledged he concealed lobbying work that may have helped another country, Turkey. Uh, that's when Bank of America decided they should probably look into that. It examined Flynn's business accounts there and sent the U.S. Treasury Department what is known as a suspicious activity report, an SAR or SAR, uh, about a $530,000 wire transfer that originated from a Turkish bank account. That half-million dollars Flynn's firm received has been previously reported, but the writing of the SAR and its receipt by the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, has not. This is the first time it's been reported. This new information highlights a major finding of the FinCEN files investigation. Banks often miss suspicious transactions when they occur. By law, banks must notify the government when they detect transactions bearing the hallmarks of money laundering or other financial misconduct, including large round-number transactions or payments between companies with no discernible business relationship. But time and again, the FinCEN Files investigation shows that banks examine suspicious activity only after they're prompted by events in the news. The details of Bank of America's May 4, 2017, suspicious activity report shed light on Flynn's actions at a time when they and his legal fate or a subject of intense scrutiny. The Bank of America, SAR, was included in a trove of records compiled by law enforcement as part of its inquiry into Russia's interference in the 2016 election. The documents are part of more than 2,100 suspicious activity reports that BuzzFeed News received and shared with the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, the ICIJ. And more than 100 news organizations around the world as part of their FinCEN files investigation. SARs are not in and of themselves evidence of a crime, but they can support investigations and intelligence gathering. According to this SAR, Bank of America decided to review the account uh, of, of the Flynn intel group after Trump fired Flynn on February 13th, 2017. Trump said he took that action because Flynn lied to, to Pence and, uh, you know, about his contacts with then Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak. A month later, revealed in documents filed with the Justice Department that though he had never registered as a foreign agent, his lobbying work may have principally benefited the government of Turkey. Flynn would later admit to prosecutors that he made false statements in those documents. Bank of America automated monitoring systems, uh, as well as news reports about Flynn and his firm, sparked the review of his account. That's according to the SAR. It cites revelations about the deal Flynn's company struck with the Dutch firm Innovo BV and its Turkish owner, Akim Alptekin. You remember, Alptekin was indicted along with Bijan Rafikian. Now, details present in the SAR show the bank had reasons to be suspicious, even before the negative headlines about Flynn emerged. Among those details, the wire transfers from Alptekin, ranging from 145000 to 200000 quote, did not contain any additional information to explain the purpose of the wires. The SAR adds that there are questions regarding the source of the funds Alptekin used. The report also describes other transactions that appeared opaque, noting that the, quote, purpose of the transfers is unknown. And after the transfers from Alptekin, the Flynn account sent checks that added up to more than $500,000 over the course of three months in 2016. The SAR notes that the checks were in round-dollar payments, considered a hallmark of suspicious activity or money laundering. According to the SAR, the wire transfers from Alptekin took place between September 9th and November 14th, 2016, while Flynn was serving as advisor to Donald Trump's campaign. Court documents have alleged that Alptekin's firm, Anovo, BV, was really just a front and that Flynn and his associates were being paid to work for the Turkish government. Anovo hired Flynn and the intel group to conduct a public relations and lobbying campaign to discredit Fatullah Gulen, a Turkish cleric in Pennsylvania, and to help convince U.S. officials to extradite him to Turkey. Turkey's president, Erdogan, accused Gulen of planning a failed coup against him in 2016. A couple of months after Flynn's company entered into its contract with Anovo, Flynn became the subject of an inquiry by the DOJ, a counterespionage division, according to documents BuzzFeed obtained in a response to a FOIA request. The inquiry followed a November 8, 2016 op-ed Flynn wrote for The Hill, arguing that the primary bone of contention between the U.S. and Turkey is Fatullah Gulen, a shady Islamic mullah residing in Pennsylvania whom former President Clinton once called his friend in a well-circulated video. Uh, Flynn's lobbying and public relations contract would later become the subject of an investigation by Moul- by Mueller. When he pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI, he also admitted, Flynn did, that he lied on, on the paperwork he filled out when he retroactively registered, retroactively, as a foreign agent. Specifically, according to court papers, he said the op-ed in The Hill was his idea. Flynn failed to disclose that he knew Turkish government officials provided supervision and direction over that project. In tracing transfers that occurred in 2016 after money from Alptekin flowed into the Flynn Intel Group, the Bank of America SAR provides hints about the purpose of those transactions. For example, checks were sent to an individual named Bijan Kian, apparently referring to Flynn Intel Group co-founder Bijan Rafikian, who sometimes uses that name. The SAR notes that the checks referenced confidence or Boston. And according to court documents, confidence refers to the codename of the Gulen Project that Rafikian and Alptekian came up with. A source said Boston refers to Michael Boston, a former U.S. intelligence operative who was identified in documents as the engagement manager for the project. Both Alptekin and Rafikian—oh, and by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Boston ends up being part of QAnon. Just keep that in your mind as a, as a, like a little back burner thing— Both at Beans, by the way, just Beans. Both Alptekin and Rafikin later faced federal charges. As you know, Alptekin was indicted for lying to the FBI and conspiring to violate federal lobbying laws. The case against Alptekin, who resides in Istanbul, remains active. So that is happening. That's going on here. They have found a SAR to back up the information about Flynn being paid a shitload of money. To bad talk, this Gulen guy, we also know he was offered $15 million to kidnap him and whisk him away on a plane in the middle of the night back to Turkey, uh, which didn't happen. Um, And it's interesting, too, that recently Flynn's son has penned an op-ed saying, you know, why are there different standards uh, applied to McCabe as there are to other people? And it's, it's just everything is kind of coming to a head right now, especially since Flynn withdrew his guilty plea, blew that up. And is now subject to the charges that he was, you know, forgiven for, including this Farah felony when he made his plea agreement. He was supposed to testify against Bijan Rafikian in that trial, but they pulled him as a witness. Apparently he did help in that case, but, you know, he he backed out. He was becoming, uh, instead of a cooperating witness, he was becoming an unindicted co-conspirator, according to prosecutors. So. This would be all very interesting, especially in light of what's going on with the Flynn case now, as Sidney Powell and her lawyers for Flynn, her new lawyers, you know, uh, Flynn's new lawyers, uh, have have filed a motion to have uh, Judge Sullivan recuse himself from the case because he's of his palpable bias against Flynn. So we will keep you posted on all this. But that is the big news today. In other news today, Trump's lawyers Seculo and Consovoy have filed with the Supreme Court for like they've done this three in one request. They've asked, one, for a stay, preventing Mazars from responding to the Manhattan D.A. Cy Vance's grand jury subpoena, two, a writ of certiorari asking the Supreme Court to take up Trump's appeal, and three, for SCOTUS to grant his appeal. We will keep you posted on that as well. Uh, I don't know that the Supreme Court will take this up. This is round two. Supreme Court already, you know, struck this down. Um, I believe it was seven to two, saying, no, your reason is stupid. You're not above the law but go back to the lower courts and try to come up with a different reason. He has, but it's kind of the same reason. And now he's back up to the Supreme Court again. We'll see where it goes. In other news also, the sham confirmation hearings for Amy Coney Barrett are going forward. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention the incredible explanation of dark money controlling the courts and our institutions from Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. Let's listen to a tiny bit of that clip.
1: In all these areas where it's about political power for big special interests, and people who want to fund campaigns, and people who want to get their way through politics without actually showing up, doing it behind donors, trust, and other groups, doing it through these schemes, over and over and over again, you see the same thing. 80 decisions, Judge Barrett. 80 decisions, an 80 to zero sweep. I don't don't think you've tried cases, but some cases, the issue is bias and discrimination. And if you're making a bias case as a trial lawyer, Lindsey Graham is a hell of a good trial lawyer. If he wanted to make a bias case, Dick Durbin's a hell of a good trial lawyer. If they wanted to make a bias case and they could show an 80 to zero pattern, A, that's admissible. And B, I'd love to make that argument to the jury. I'd be really hard pressed to be the lawyer saying, no, 80 to zero is just a bunch of flukes. All 5 4, all partisan, all this way. So something is not right around the court, and dark money has a lot to do with it. Special interests have a lot to do with it. Donors' trust and whoever's hiding behind donors' trust has a lot to do with it. And the Bradley Foundation, orchestrating its Emmy key over at the court, has a lot to do with it.
0: You should listen to that whole clip if you get a chance. It's it's truly amazing. And he's got visual aids and everything. Watch it on YouTube if you get a chance. We'll put the link in our newsletter. And massive voter turnout for early voting today in Georgia and Texas, among other states. And as this happens, we've learned that, quote, a severed fiber optic cable in Virginia shut down the multiple shut down multiple state websites for most of the day Tuesday, uh, affecting thousands of voters uh, of the, on the state's last day to register. Uh, Virginia uh, Department of Elections said the cut happened in the Chester area near Route 10, citing a notice provided by the state's Information Technology Agency, which handles IT services for the state. The outage had, quote, affected the the department's citizen portal um, along with local registrar's office across the Commonwealth. That's from uh, department spokeswoman Andrea Gaines. A spokeswoman for the Technologies Agency, which handles IT services, said the cable was accidentally struck overnight during work related to a roadside utilities project. Mm, okay. Service was restored by 3.45 p.m., according to this agency. Uh, Who believes that was accidental? Uh, I do not, but I do not have proof that it wasn't. Meanwhile, voter advocacy groups, along with some current and former state officials, have called for a court order for the voter registration deadline to be extended beyond today. We'll tell you what happens in that. Speaking of Virginia, accused conspirators charged in a plot to kidnap Michigan Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer also discussed taking Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. That's according to an FBI agent testified at a court hearing today as federal authorities offer new details about the alleged anti-government plot. During the hearing in Grand Rapids to discuss the charges filed last week against members of a self-proclaimed militia, which I call a terrorist group, accused of plotting to kidnap Michigan's Democratic governor, FBI Special Agent Richard Trask revealed that a month ago some of the suspects met in Dublin, Ohio, where Northam, also a Democrat, was discussed as a potential target. Quote, at this meeting, they discussed possible targets, taking a sitting governor, specifically issues with the governors of Michigan and Virginia, based on lockdown orders. This is according to Trask, who told the court referring to a state man, referring to state mandated restrictions to combat COVID. No one has been charged with plotting to kidnap Northam. But like Whitmer, Virginia's governor was the target of intense criticism from some conservatives over the summer. Trump has sharply criticized both governors, tweeting in all caps demands in the spring that their states be liberated. He did that for both Virginia and Michigan. And finally, Russia and China have been elected to the U.N. Human Rights Council for the next three years. But Saudi Arabia failed in its attempt to win a place by the 47-seat body. The result is a severe blow to Saudi Arabia's efforts to improve its image in the wake of admitting the killing of Saudi citizen and Washington Post reporter Jamal Khashoggi. Pakistan and Cuba were also elected uh, in the secret ballot on Tuesday conducted at the U.N. headquarters in New York to fill 15 vacant seats, which are distributed between five regions. France and the U.K. were elected unopposed to represent Europe. The vote largely works by countries within regions reaching private bargains on the nation states that will stand, often with the aim of ensuring that all candidates stand unopposed within their region. It's like a slate, right? The Saudis' defeat followed intensive last-minute lobbying from human rights organizations, which warned that the body's credibility would be at stake if Saudi Arabia, Russia, and China were elected, given their recent histories. You know, Russia in recent weeks has been accused of using military-grade nerve agent Novichok to poison opposition leader Alexei Navalny, and Saudi Arabia has admitted government officials dismembered Khashoggi in the, in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul two years ago. And, of course, China sending hundreds of thousands of Uyghur Muslims into state re-education camps in the Zhejiang province. I don't understand how Russia and China got seats, but it happened. And we'll be right back with a Democratic candidate for Congress in Florida's 3rd District working to unseat Ted Yoho. And that's Adam Christensen. And later, I'll be speaking with the author of Dark Towers, Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump, and an Epic Trail, David Enrich. We're going to be talking about Leon Black, a billionaire with questionable ties to Jeffrey Epstein. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening to the Daily Beans. This episode is brought to you by Caliper CBD. Life is really stressful, so self care should be easy. You don't want to add to your anxiety with your self care. So, that great thing about CBD is that it helps you feel better without having to make drastic changes to your life. If you haven't tried CBD, I recommend it. It has helped me feel less anxious and more calm. I've slept easier, and it even helps me feel less sore after long workouts. My favorite thing about Caliper CBD specifically is they've introduced a better way to consume it in an easy-to-use powder. And unlike oils, Caliper CBD powder is completely tasteless, and it mixes easily with food or drinks. I put some in my coffee in the morning, and it's got precisely 20 milligrams in each packet, so you never question how much you're taking. Uh, And also, it's clinically proven that you absorb 450% more CBD with Caliper CBD powder compared to tinctures. So that is just a huge difference. And it gives you all the benefits of CBD in just 15 minutes, about twice as fast as CBD oil. So it's fast acting. And it's completely THC-free, so you get all the benefits of CBD without any intoxicating or mind-altering effects. Caliper is made with all-natural, non-GMO ingredients. No fillers, no chemicals, no artificial flavors. So take care of yourself, but make it easy on yourself with Caliper CBD. Get 20% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at trycalipercom DAILYBEANS. You can try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days. And if you don't love it, they'll give you a full refund. That's tricaliper. Dot com slash daily beans. And don't forget promo code Daily Beans for twenty percent off your first order. Alright everybody, welcome back. It's time to flip it blue.
1: I'm blue.
0: I am very excited today to introduce a Democratic candidate for U.S. House of Representatives representing Florida's 3rd District. He is running against incumbent Ted Yoho, and I know you know Yoho. Uh, please welcome Adam Christensen to the show. Adam, it's nice to talk to you.
2: It's good to talk to you as well. How are you doing?
0: I am doing really well, and I, I'm so excited to speak with you because... Uh, I've been talking to candidates for U.S. House, trying to flip seats blue across the country. And I really, really love your platform. It is one of my favorite platforms of anybody I've spoken to so far. So I appreciate you spending time with me today. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting is that uh, talk a little bit about this. Well, first of all, give us some of the demographics, some of the characteristics of Florida's third district.
2: Yeah. So um, we are a well, originally two and a half years ago, we were polled at a plus nine Republican district. Uh, You have Alachua County, which has Gainesville and University of Florida, which is extremely blue. And then just outside of it, you get to Marion County and Putnam and Clay and basically the Jacksonville suburbs, and it is 80 to 90% Republican. And so it's uh, most of most Democrats historically have really only focused in Alachua and they've never been able to break out into any of the surrounding counties. And we decided that that was going to be our main focus because Ted Yoho is retiring which means that a person that he had fired previously is running for his space because, uh, well, apparently that's just how it works. Um, And uh, yeah, so uh, you have a very strong Republican uh, stronghold in Clay County, which is northeastern part of the district. And then you have a very strong uh, Latino and Hispanic population in the southeastern part of the district. uh, And then uh, in basically the western part is an incredibly democratic, uh, you know, almost liberal kind of bastion in uh, Gainesville, Florida. And so that's kind of the demographics.
0: All right. Well, thank you for that. Now, it says here you grew up Republican. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I grew up in Indiana, actually, (laughs) Um, uh, basically from the time I was six years old until I went to college. Uh, And uh, my entire family is uh, hardcore conservative Republicans, and they have been for generations. Uh, My dad's side of the family actually lives, uh, still lives out in Iowa and uh, farms uh, in the southwestern portion. It was actually Steve King's district is where they live. Uh, And so that is kind of, you know, my background, the the kind of the world that I grew up in. Um, And, you know, it's for me, a big transition came, especially in the last four or five years where I basically saw the people that i had grown up with, especially in the church, um, who are really very willing to talk about you know, biblical teachings are like the way that we're supposed to function as a society on Sunday. And then they will go out and vote for people who believe the exact opposite the next day. And so for me, I just couldn't keep doing that anymore. Um, And, you know, for me, people come first. And you have to not only live out your faith, but you have to do it in a way that's authentic. And what you say on one day needs to be the same thing you're saying the next day and your actions need to actually replicate your words. And that's kind of that's one of the main reasons why I am. Who I am and where
0: I am right now. Ah, so a talk the talk person. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now your but your platform here very progressive. I love it. Tell first of all, one of I've you know like I said I've talked to people all around the country. One of the top concerns right now, and I'm wondering if this is true for your constituency as well, is healthcare. We're in the middle of uh, a healthcare crisis, a pandemic that has been just absolutely mismanaged by Republicans in Congress and this administration. And of course, you know, with the, the after World War II, we've we started attaching health care to employment and now we've lost millions and millions of jobs because of the mismanagement of the economy under covid by the Republicans in this administration. So can you talk a little bit about your health care platform? Because I know there are a lot of Americans, especially watching closely the Trump administration and the Supreme Court trying to gut the Affordable Care Act can you talk a little bit about what your your plan is for for getting um, timely access to quality care for for your constituents
2: yeah I think the biggest thing right now um, and that everyone has come around to believe and understand is that we should not have a single person worry about going bankrupt because their kid gets cancer mm-hmm. that's the system that we have mm-hmm. and it does not work and we all know it doesn't work because if that could happen in the system the system is fundamentally flawed one of the main reasons that it's flawed is i mean even from a conservative perspective we right now have middlemen in that system that take 30 percent of everything that we pay and they do nothing and those are the insurance companies and so i almost approach it especially here because it is such a republican area i i really approach it almost from a conservative perspective which is if you want to cut the fat if you want to get rid of the bureaucracy if you want to get rid of the middlemen you want to stop price fixing, which kills the free market, then you need Medicare for all, you need to remove those parts from it, you need to cut them out, and at which point you're paying 30% less, um, you are paying less overall, and essentially it would be a small business tax cut, because small businesses would no longer be on the line for $8,000 per employee for health insurance, and that would allow small businesses to grow, it would give them an actual advantage and be able to recruit and bring on good people, because nobody will take a risk right now. With a small business because they are too worried about going bankrupt if their kid gets sick
3: mm-hmm. they just
2: won't do it and so we need to give people freedom i mean we need to give them an ability to actually take their lives back and being able to make sure that we have health care that covers everyone is the best way to do that and on top of it this is the thing that bugs me the most I don't know if you've ever uh, heard the story of the two houses. Um, It's a parable from the Bible, but it's also, you know, one of those proverbs that people have used for years. And essentially, the wise man builds his house on the rock and the foolish man builds his house on the sand. And when the rains come and the storms come, one gets wiped away. You have to completely rebuild it. And the other one's still there. And you just have to, you know, repaint it. What we have done as a society is basically said that we're going to build it from the top down, not the bottom up we're not going to have a firm foundation which is people being taken care of. And so healthcare is one of the main things. We were not prepared for a pandemic in the first place because like you said employment, health insurance was tied to employment. And on top of that, not every single person had healthcare. Because as we found out, if one person doesn't have healthcare in a pandemic, everyone's at risk. <laughs> so, it's just basic things. Like it's it's literally the basic understanding of how things are supposed to function, and yet for some reason we get bogged down on oh, well it costs so much or It doesn't matter how much it costs. What matters is if the return on the investment that you put in is greater than what you put in. That's
4: Mm -hmm. what
2: every business person understands. As long as the ROI is higher than one, you're making money. It doesn't matter how much you spent to make money, you're making money. And you have to spend money in order to make money. And yeah, that's how I think about it.
0: Yeah, so here we are. And I, you know, I for one believe that healthcare should never be for profit. And I think the best case study for the deprivatization of our healthcare industry in the United States is something else that is on your platform honoring our commitment to veterans. The VA and TRICARE military treatment facilities are a glowing, shining example. Not that we need it because every other, you know, uh, developed country in the world has (laughs) access, free access to healthcare. But if you want to look closer to home, here we have a totally government-funded healthcare system that keeps costs low, uh, and that allows for uh, the evidence-based outcomes, quality care, preventive medicine— all at a low cost, all eliminating the middleman, and all single payer, and it is the best um, received and best outcome healthcare system globally, and it is massive, and it and they are trying to the Republicans are trying to privatize that as well instead of leaving that alone and deprivatizing the healthcare for the public. So, can you talk a little bit about your commitment to veterans? I'm a veteran, and I've noticed this this just this sink into the privatization of the of the Department of Veterans Affairs and now Tricare they're trying to pull 2.2 $2 billion dollars out of that as well and it's uh, you get you get lower quality care you get lower quality care and you have longer wait times in the private sector and, it, and and worse outcomes it's insane
2: it's the way i think about it is essentially why do we keep sending people to be in government who don't even believe that government should exist <laughs> I would never hire somebody to my business who didn't think that my business was worth anything, or it should even exist, or it should be something else. It just it blows my mind the fact that we keep doing this. It's it's of course nothing will ever get better if nobody actually ever wants it to get better. Like if you put roadblocks in place, and there are people, they are people that purposefully roadblock everything. Then of course nothing works. It's insane to me. So no, as far as uh, you know, veterans' healthcare goes. Not not only should we have it as it is, it needs to be expanded. Like, as I said before, the more we can do in order to make sure that people have a base of support and they are not worrying about whether or not they're going to be on the street or they're going to go bankrupt or they're going to lose everything, that actually allows a society to function. And if we don't take care of people first, then what the hell are we doing? Because we haven't done that for 40 years and it's just destroyed our towns, our communities, basically everything. Why? Greed. Greed is not good. I I know this is an argument that people have been making for 20, 30 years, but you have movies that come out and say greed is good, or or that's the title of the movie. And what we understand is that's not true. So from a conservative perspective, from an evangelical perspective, from a veteran perspective, we need to understand greed is not good. And being able to actually have a decent life, is not something to be scoffed at. And I don't understand why it is that people don't believe that. Not even that they don't believe it. I think they believe it. I think they understand that it is more profitable for them and they can make more money for themselves if they're able to privatize these things instead of just making it a public service or making it work well enough that everybody's doing okay.
0: Yeah. Or to continue to get reelected by accepting lobby money from private insurance. And and that's another part of your platform is getting the money out of politics.
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously, I personally believe that we need to have publicly financed elections and the reason for that is that negates, the, that negates any possible need for term, uh, term limits, because people would actually be choosing their representatives, not just big money donors who would be choosing their representatives. One really special thing about our campaign is that we've raised almost $160,000 and the average donation is 20 bucks. Like That's incredible. That has never happened in this part of the country before. And what we understand is when you are not beholden to big money donors, and they are not the main focus and the main people who push you through, because your donors set your agenda. They set your priorities. And who gives money to your campaign, who funds you, who pushes you forward, that is who you're going to look for, and that is who you're going to back, and that is who you're (laughs) going to write all your legislation for. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it needs to be. So if you have every single person having as much power as everybody else and not just have one giant company who has far more power than everyone else, you actually have a democracy. You actually have a republic. And right now we don't. We Mm -hmm. have an oligarchy, or at least in my opinion, we have an oligarchy. But I'm not allowed to say that because apparently we're not Russia.
0: Yeah, We have uh, we can. We can either have a, the Major League Baseball and the New York Yankees win every year, or we can have the NFL and teams like the Green Bay Packers and everyone gets the same amount of financing, can can win the Super Bowl, you know. Um, now, question for you here, too, because I want to talk a little bit, uh, I want to wrap this up by talking about your plan for uh, creating an economy that works for the Floridians in your district and how green jobs in the environment and protections for the planet work in in lockstep, they dovetail with that. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah. Um, so we can have all the best plans and policies in the world, right? But what does that actually look like in our local area? Like, where what does that look like here? Um, so we actually have been putting together a, a full jobs plan of kind of what our vision for this area would look like if we took all the things that we've been highlighting and the things we've been fighting for, and we actually applied them. So here's kind of how it, it would, it would look. Uh, essentially, the first thing is you get rid of Nestle and you get rid of the phosphate mines in this in this district. Nestle right now is going in to bottle up as much water as it possibly can out of the Santa Fe River. If it does that, the springs, what we're known for, is gone. That's what most of the tourism is on the west side of Gainesville in High Springs. It's literally a town called High Springs focused on tourism for their springs, for their fresh water natural springs. And if Nestle is able to bottle as much water as they possibly want and pay us basically nothing... Um, Those springs are gone. The entire town of High Springs is gone, and everything dries up just like it has for years, literally and, you know, metaphorically. On top of that, you got the phosphate mines. Uh, Phosphate mining poisons the ground. It poisons the water. And on top of that, phosphate is the number one ingredient for most fertilizers. Now, if you got rid of the phosphate mines, you'd have to find an alternative to phosphate fertilizer. Well, the alternative would be carbon pilot programs, farming pilot programs, which would allow small and family-owned businesses and farms to be able to grow again. They would be able to actually you know, farm on the land that had previously been poisoned. And on top of that, we are actually fixing the environment with it when, it, when it's done correctly. On top of that, we need to do what Eisenhower did, which is essentially build an entire interstate highway for the internet through our rural areas, through our rural town. Now, what does that do? That allows small businesses to actually be grown in the rural areas. On top of that, we're going to set up small business incubators like we already have in certain locations here in Florida. And we even have one here in Gainesville and Alachua. And what that's going to do is allow anybody who has an idea to be able to stay in their community because they now have internet. And they now have a place where they can actually build a small business and grow, and those jobs stay there, and the ideas stay there, and the money flows in. It doesn't just keep flowing out. On top of that, what I would love to do is, when these things start happening, is expand the airport so we can get more investors and people to actually come in. Um, And then on top of that, you know, high-speed rail. Uh, We need to be able to have really fast trains. 100 miles an hour does not cut it anymore. And I'm sick of people being like, "That's a fast train." I'm like, "No, they have 200 mile an hour fast trains. Why don't we have those?" and i feel like most people are like okay that well that's kind of cool let's do that that's a that's a, probably a better investment than like the space program at this point i think um and so it's just one of those things where all of these things don't even seem that crazy they don't even seem radical they just seem like something that we should have already done and yet we haven't and so what's crazy is most people say that you know like we're incredibly progressive and like super left and all this stuff and i'm like what, what has anything that I have proposed here sounded like it was insane or like futuristic? No. It's literally me just being like, I want fast internet. I want to be able to start a company. <clears throat>
0: and like, there's I money in
2: it. Eight hours and be able to have a home and a family and have money left over.
0: That's it. That's all I want. And, and and conservatives and Republicans, if they weren't beholden to all this dark money, would be able to reap the benefits financially and fiscally of this. I mean, look, look what Rick Perry turned Texas into the number one wind state yeah. uh, and made a boatload, you know, and, and created a zillion jobs.
2: It, it, it's, it, it rail got a, a California's economy back on track. <laughs> Somebody explain to me why we turned that money down. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And we handed it to California. Most people in Florida don't like people in California. I don't understand why we handed them free money. It makes no sense to me. So, yeah, there's a lot of crazy things happening.
0: Yeah. Well, there's so much more that I wish I had more time to for, to talk to you about that, that's here in your platform, including tax cuts and pre-K and education, housing, homes for all. Uh, we're out of time, but can you tell uh, my listeners where they can f- read everything that you're proposing here, everything that's on your platform, and also how they can contribute to your campaign to flip this, take this out of Yoho's hands because he's useless, and how they can volunteer, text bank, phone bank, write postcards. Can you tell us where, where they so, can do that?
2: Our website is ForTheManyNotJustMe.com. And obviously you can kind of tell why we put it as that um, because everything that we're doing is for all of us it's not just for one person when you got a bunch of people all saying that, well things can kind of finally start changing. Um, So right there you can, uh, there's a volunteer page, Uh, you also have a donation link uh, donation pages, um, and our platform policy page we have probably one of the most extensive websites for a congressional candidate out of everyone probably around the country. We have an entire policy team that just rips through all of it and makes sure that, you know, it's good. It makes sense. Like we can actually do these things. Um, But yeah, we need as much help as we can get. We have raised more money than anybody else who has ever run here in small dollar contributions. And we have a shot. Donald Trump has come here twice. Mm. He's coming here on Friday again to Ocala in a supposedly safe red district to prop up a failing candidate which is the person I'm running against. A group of college kids has been able to not only take it to the Republican party in Florida, but if we flip this seat, Florida flips and the election is over Mm -hmm. and we are very close. We know that we have brought it down from a plus nine to a plus four. That is amazing. Ridiculous and that has happened in the last two and a half weeks. So we have all the momentum, we have some money, our tv ads are going up but we need more people to phone bank we need people in the streets canvassing we need people with lit drops we need people (laughs) people power and if we have that if we have as much as we can possibly get we do something historic which is knock out ted yoho who verbally assaulted aoc on the capitol steps with a strong progressive who would be the youngest elected congressional candidate ever with a team that is all under the age of 23 yeah, it would. It would be the number two news story in the country for a long time.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me. Everybody go for the many, not just me, uh, dot com, dot com. Uh, because if we can flip the third, we can flip Florida. We flip Florida. We flip the country. It's over. Yep, All, All right. It's exciting. Thank you. It is. It's really exciting. We'll be watching closely on election night and in the you know days that follow as the ballots are counted up. Thank you so much. Uh, Adam Christensen. again, for the many not just me.com. I appreciate you speaking with me today.
2: Appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of your day.
0: You as well. Everybody, stick around right after this. We'll have the interview with David Enrich. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's A.G. for The Daily Beans. And this portion of the podcast is brought to you by Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. The pandemic didn't just test our country's economic endurance. It exposed how living an unhealthy lifestyle can increase your risk. And that's why I recommend you take a superfood powder called Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition every day. While other health products boast about one vegetable, Field of Greens is packed with 18 clinically researched essential fruits and vegetables, plus green tea, ginger, turmeric and beets. This powerful combination not only can support your heart health, but it can support healthy immune system, metabolism, blood pressure, and digestion. Field of Greens is loaded with antioxidants, pre- and probiotics, and just one scoop in a glass of water. Stir it up. You're done. It does amazing things for you. So why settle for one vegetable when you can have the entire Field of Greens? And Field of Greens, uh, add it to your daily routine and see why powdered greens have earned more than 2,000 five-star reviews. So go to fieldofgreens15.com and get 15% off your first order with the promo code BEANS at checkout. That's fieldofgreens15, the number one five, dot com. It's available in two flavors, regular and wild berry. Both taste great. fieldofgreens15.com and don't forget promo code BEANS. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today for the interview is one of the writers of a report out this week in The New York Times about the Apollo group's Leon Black and how he gave nearly $50 million to Jeffrey Epstein after Epstein was convicted for soliciting prostitution from a teenage girl. He is the author of Dark Towers, Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump and an Epic Trail. Please welcome David Enrich back to the show. David, thanks for speaking with me today. My pleasure. So tell us, who is Leon Black and why is it weird that he would give so much money to Jeffrey Epstein?
3: Well, Leon Black is the head of Apollo Group, which is one of the world's largest private equity firms. Uh, He is a billionaire many times over. He's one of the most powerful figures on Wall Street and has been for quite a long time. And Black is the kind of guy who has you know billions of dollars and obviously has very complicated financial affairs as a result of all of his investments, but because of his great wealth and great power, has access to absolutely any law firm or accounting firm on the planet that he can pay lots of money to provide tax, very sophisticated tax, estate planning services, things like that. And so it is very, very strange. That someone with those resources at his at disposal would go to someone like Jeffrey Epstein, who is a college dropout, no law degree, no accounting experience, no tax experience. And it, so that right off the bat has raised a lot of eyebrows for the past year and a half, basically ever since Epstein's death. And Black acknowledged at that point that he had hired Epstein for some tax in the state planning services. What we learned this week, published in the story, is that the amount of money that Black has paid to Epstein over the years is, uh, it's at least $50 million, and we think quite a lot more than that in reality. And that is an astronomical, unheard of sum for someone, even a billionaire, to pay anyone to deal with tax in the state playing services. Big white shoe law firms would not charge that much. And so the fact that he is paying that amount. To Epstein alone, again, who has no experience in this field, uh, it is very, very strange.
0: Mm, yeah, it reminds me of companies like an aerospace company from South Korea or a big pharmaceutical company like Novartis or a telecommunications giant like AT&T giving millions of dollars to Michael Cohen for his consulting capabilities as his, you know, as the owner of Essential Consulting. I just don't understand it.
3: Yeah. And, you know, it's like that I have gone over this. My colleagues have gone over this a billion, not a billion, a lot of times and we are searching for an explanation that makes sense, and we've really tried to think about this from Black's perspective, and it's just really hard. I mean, it makes us think, it makes me think that there is more to the story that we don't understand. And look, there's no allegation that we that are aware of, or that we're making ourselves, that, that Black was doing anything improper in terms of the stuff that Epstein is notorious for with running a sex trafficking ring, things like that. Uh, but boy, this is a situation that just cries out desperately for more explanation from Black and from Apollo, and we're not getting it. So yeah. it's it's a big mystery.
0: Yeah. And it's a lot of smoke. I mean, we've speculated and we have no uh, smoking gun evidence or proof that Epstein is a private hedge fund manager for all these billionaires around the world is taking in all this money, and for why? And it it just seems it seems kind of obvious, but I do want to be careful to say that we don't have any evidence linking so far Leon Black or any of these billionaires or millionaires to anything nefarious. Uh, but it just you're right, it just screams weirdness. And Stephanie Pill- uh, Pillersdorf, right, a spokesperson for Leon Black, said. That their relationship, Epstein and Black's relationship, ended in 2018, and that Black quote continues to be appalled by the behavior that led to Epstein's Epstein's conviction. But then, why give him 50 million at, in the years following that conviction? It just doesn't. That's a weird timeline.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I just don't have a good answer for you. You're right to ask the question. We're asking the same question. It it demands better answers. And I mean, I think one. Consequence of this article being published in the New York Times this week is that Apollo's share price has gotten battered. The last I checked, it was down about ten percent over two days, which is white, you know, wiped out more than a billion dollars uh, of value for the company. And so, I think it's likely that investors in Apollo are going to demand either answers or accountability here. And that is, um, you know, it's not up to me to define what constitutes accountability, but I certainly think it's in the public interest to have more transparency about this. Because, look, what at the time that Epstein died last summer, there were just so many unanswered questions and people who had not been held accountable for the huge problems and harm that Epstein had caused with his victims, and with others all over the world. And I think it's really important that everyone whether it's the media or investors or just you know normal citizens really apply pressure on the institutions and individuals that were involved with Epstein to if not to punish them to at least demand answers and get more clarity about how this happened
0: yeah and where the money came from and where it went I mean that's an obvious kind of follow the money thing but you know if if And that's really interesting to hear about uh, the shares going down uh, in Apollo Group and that that might lead them to demand more answers. I mean, who's going to prop up Jared Kushner's 666 Fifth Avenue building if Apollo is going broke? (laughs) Can you talk a little bit?
3: Maybe the Qataris.
0: (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Definitely the Qataris. But talk a little bit about that, uh, because we've been following, we call it the devil building, the the 666 Fifth Fifth Avenue building. For a couple of years now and where the funding is coming from to prop up the Kushner family. Uh, can you talk about uh, the Apollo Group's ties to Kushner and those meetings at the White House? Do you remember any of that?
3: Yeah. And I remember that well. And there were look, the Kushner companies, as you know, have been in financial duress for quite some time now as a result of bad investing decisions they made. And they Uh, needed a bailout of their flagship building, which is, as you call it, the devil building, uh, which I've never heard and do not necessarily subscribe to, but it is (laughs) six six Fifth Avenue. Uh, And, you know, who did they go to? They went to a group that, they went to a bunch of different financial institutions that were very deep-pocketed and that had very uh strong political connections and uh, Apollo is one of them ultimately the people that really bailed out that property were uh, included Brookfield asset management which as a lot's been written about the fact that they are part owned by the Qatari government and the so yeah this is a these are people who travel in the same world as the Trumps and the Kushners black does and It's, you know, so there's a lot of overlap. I don't think, I have no reason to think that there is any connection between the fact that Black has worked with Kushner and knows Trump to the fact that Black was also close with Epstein. I mean, obviously Epstein also knew Trump, uh, but I don't have any reason to think that those two storylines are anything other than kind of tangentially related. But I also am not saying it's, i'm not ruling it out i just i don't i have not seen evidence to suggest that those two story lines actually merge.
0: yeah no they're just more like oh fun fact like like yeah, the fun yeah. fact that inside 666 fifth avenue is the havana room where manafort had cigars with known russian agent Konstantin kalimnik <laughs> when he handed off the polling data uh for a couple you're, of really really pivotal states in the election
3: you're fun filled with fun facts <laughs> I don't
0: know. Maybe fun's not the right word. Maybe yes. we should come up with a new word. Uh, tell me a little bit uh, in the in this piece here in the New York Times that you did yesterday. What's going on with the attorney general in the Virgin Islands as far as this case goes?
3: Well, she is so th- there's two investigating authorities that are really delving into this down there. One is the U.S. attorney's office. The other is the uh, the attorney general who has said that she is going to subpoena. And I think she actually at this point has subpoenaed among other entities, Apollo and all these uh, limited liability companies that Leon Black owns, because, you know, she's doing the same thing that we're doing to some extent, which is trying to follow this trail of money that goes uh, in and out of Epstein's accounts at Deutsche Bank and at, previously at J.P. Morgan. And it shows him interacting with companies from connected to very rich, powerful people. And that's if you're trying to track down someone who is suspected of things like running a sex trafficking network or possibly laundering money or evading taxes or things like that, you need to get answers from all these companies. And these companies, you know, for people like you and me are impenetrable, right? Because they are either uh, incorporated in Delaware or somewhere offshore where there are very limited disclosure requirements. And so we kind of rely on the, on other institutions or entities that have access to, that can force information out. And in the case of this story that we did yesterday, and one of the big breakthroughs was that uh, Epstein banked for many years at Deutsche Bank, and Deutsche Bank trying, I think, you know, to its credit, trying to hold itself to account a little bit, commissioned this big internal investigation into what exactly was going on in these Epstein accounts. The bank handed that over to regulators, and we've seen portions of that report at least as, they, as it relates to Leon Black, and so and Deutsche Bank is one of the few institutions in this case that has this inside view of what was actually going on in Epstein's finances in the final five or six years of his life. And so, they're you know, I think Deutsche Bank once again is kind of the holy has the holy grail here, and that's a story that keeps repeating itself because they are also Trump's bank, and also hold all the a lot of the answers to Trump's innermost financial secrets.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And sp- speaking of Deutsche Bank, your book, I consider you a, an expert on what's happening with Deutsche Bank. Uh, I had a question for you, and this is a little off topic. It's about the New York Times tax story that came out this week. Yep. Um, there was a paragraph that really caught my attention, and I immediately thought of you, and I wanted to ask you about this passage. They say, in early 2016, Deutsche Bank the last big lender still doing business with Trump, unexpectedly turned down his request for a loan. The funds, Mr. Trump had told his bankers, would help shore up Turnberry, but some bankers feared the money would instead be diverted to his campaign. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about, do you know anything about why, uh, specifically, Deutsche Bank was started to finally turn him down for loans when he was looking for money to, you know, I mean, he was selling off a lot of stock and stuff. He was seemingly seemingly broke.
3: Yeah, and I think... I've heard this story recounted in considerable detail now from people who are directly involved in this process at the time. And and this is going to sound incredible, but I think a lot of senior people at Deutsche Bank at the time, so this is early 2016, were not aware that Donald Trump was a big customer of their bank. And this new loan request came through. It it was uh, tens of millions of dollars. It was, kind of, it was connected to the Doral Golf Resort in Florida, but the proceeds of the loan were going to go to Turnberry in Scotland. And this went up through kind of a routine uh, like oversight committee meeting, and they heard about this. And the, the head of the bank at the or the head of the bank in the U.S. at the time said, wait a sec, we're lending tens of millions of mon- dollars to Trump in the middle of, and at this point he was the presumpt, or he was the re- Republican front runner for the nomination. And they said, wait a sec, why are we lending money To him, in the middle of the campaign, and they did a little more research, and realized like, oh my god, we have three hundred plus million dollars already outstanding to the guy. And so, at that point, there a big fight broke out inside Deutsche Bank, and this got appealed up the food chain all the way to Frankfurt, where they again rejected it on the grounds that there was reputationally this was very dangerous for Deutsche Bank that. And they did not want to be even have the possibility of financing a presidential campaign, which potentially could have been violated campaign finance laws. And uh, so you know, this is the moment for Deutsche Bank where they finally recognized that they were really deeply entangled with Trump. And it's a testament to their terrible risk management, terrible communications and just general recklessness and apathy with regard to their clients, that they were not fully aware of this up and down the kind of bank hierarchy up until this point in early 2016. And there, I cannot think of very many financial institutions in the world that would not have their top executives aware of a pretty huge exposure to someone who, for years at that point, had been a very polarizing kind of demagoguish figure and at this point was well into the uh, very serious run for the presidency. And it, it it's really, it kind of boggles the mind to think that Deutsche Bank up until that point did not have senior leaders who were fully on board and aware of what was going on.
0: Yeah, it is. It is a little strange. I mean, and then you can bring in the whole uh, Justin Kennedy and yep. we can talk about um, recent reports that uh, there there's been a bunch of small Russian banks that send a ton of money to Deutsche Bank and, how that all works. But I think that that's just still stuff that needs to be looked into.
3: Yeah. I mean, there. this is a Deutsche Bank is a financial institution that found its way into the middle of just about every major financial scandal under the sun. It was laundering money for wealthy Russians. It was bribing people, it was violating sanctions, it was evading taxes, it was, you know, financing outlaw regimes and terrorist groups. I and mean, it was doing a lot of very, very bad stuff. And so in some ways, it's not that surprising that it, they also happen to have been financing Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump. And I think the problem is, and the difficulty here, is separating what the facts show, which is quite bad, from the kind of temptation to connect all these dots that are very bad dots and connect them all into a you know a galaxy of even worse dots that show conspiracies that may or may not actually exist. And I think there's this is something that the world of social media often leads everyone down a path that is maybe uh you know 10 or 20 degrees too far. Um so but look the bottom line facts here whether it regards Leon Black and Jeffrey Epstein or Deutsche Bank and Donald Trump, they're all bad. Right. This is. These are people in the in the case of Deutsche Bank and Epstein in particular that have by, you know, everyone agrees have done bad things. And we have these big financial institutions and wealthy individuals like Leon Black who are continuing to work with and enable them.
0: And I admittedly am extremely guilty of connecting those galaxy of dots and (laughs) and, uh, speculating, although I do make sure to definitely, you know, inform everyone when I'm speculating and where the facts are. And that's why I'm glad that I had you on today. So author of Dark Towers, Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump, and Epic Trail, David Enrich, thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with Dana Goldberg and the good news. Stay with us. Hey everybody, this Helping the Podcast is brought to you by Helix Sleep. As you know, for the past four years I've had trouble sleeping. I lay awake, tossing and turning, counting ceiling tiles. Wonder how many sheep you're supposed to count before you fall asleep. At first I thought I was losing sleep because of the politics. Uh, But also, I have a garbage mattress. Not anymore. Uh, I'm so happy to announce that Helix Sleep sent me the most amazing mattress ever. You've heard Joelle and Jordan and Mandy talk about theirs. And Helix understands you're unique, and they customize your mattress to fit you and the way you sleep. Helix created a sleep quiz that takes just two minutes online, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to a custom mattress for you. So if you like a mattress that's really soft or firm, or if you sleep on your side or your back or your stomach, or you sleep hot like I do, with Helix, there is a mattress for each and everyone's unique taste like me i was matched to the helix midnight because i like my bed medium firm and i sleep on my side so it's perfect for me but you don't need to take my word for it helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 and now 2020 by gq and wired magazine so just go to HelixSleep.com/dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life they have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it for 100 sleeps risk-free they'll pick it up for you if you don't love it but you will Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at HelixSleep.com slash Daily That's Helix, H-E-L-I-X, Sleep.com slash Daily for up to $200 off. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news.
1: Well, we'll float.
0: happy to tell you that i am joined today by the amazing incredible incomparable dana goldberg for the good news hi dana how are you
4: hi please continue please continue with the accolades and the compliments i have missed you hi everybody (laughs)
0: i've missed you too it is good (laughs) to talk to you i'm so happy for the good news today uh we need it after these shit show hearings um on the supreme court nominee
4: oh good lord (sighs) Uh, I'm watching these guys, even the Republicans questioning her. It's really funny because Amy will say something like, you know, on the Seventh Circuit and one of the Republican men will be like, well, when I, you know, when I shadowed in night court, so I mean, I have a little bit of experience, like when I was on, you know, when I watched Judge Judy five times, so I totally understand the press. And I'm like, oh, my God, shut up. (laughs)
0: When I watched Night Court in the 80s, Judge Harry really had some great points. Oh
4: my God. It's really funny. Crapo or whatever his name was, as I was <laughs> listening to him. They have to puff their feathers, even if it's one of their own. It's the funniest thing. No,
0: I know. They're such douches. Anyway, uh, uh, this is the good news block. Let's focus on that. Let's if you have do a good it. news story, if you had a good news story, we have so many. I know. And so many pod pets. I'm so excited. And if you want to send some in, uh, you can do it at DailyBeansPod.com. That's where you can send everything you could possibly want to send in. In And Dana and I are going to be talking to Mary Trump for our episode 7. We're going to be doing that this Thursday. And I have sent you all links, patrons, in your email. So check your junk uh, on the form you can fill out. Check your junk. <laughs> check your junk. All right. <laughs> that's, that's a good episode title. Check yeah junk. Okay. Here we go. First up, from anonymous pronouns she and her. This is a confession, and she says, Confession, I bought a chonky (laughs) pee-pee.
4: Where is this going? (laughs) We'll see, we'll see.
0: So Facebook, we don't read these in advance, so we're we're on the journey with you. We Um, are. (laughs) So Facebook Algo tried to promote something called Chonky Store. It was selling chonky bat, which I thought was hilarious, so obviously I clicked through. They had chonky seal, chonky fox, and all sorts of chonky animals. Then I found it, my dream chonk. May I present chonky pee-pee. I can't wait for it to arrive. My God. And for my husband's reaction. (laughs) Here's a photo.
4: There's a photo.
0: Can you describe this, Dana?
4: Um, As a lesbian, I'm not sure what I'm looking at. No, I'm kidding. It it seems to be a very large head, fluffy head of a penis with with eyes. That's the only way I can describe it. I'm assuming it's flesh-colored of a a mediocre white man. I don't know. Uh, But that is basically... What I am seeing, and she is loving this thing. She is snuggled right into it. Ag, I feel like I got set up. Allison's like, "I'll take the first one." And I'm like, "Yeah, of course, of course, you will." It's a, it's a huge, it's a little plushy penis,
0: and look, it, it has, it comes in different flesh tones as well. I don't know if you saw that.
4: She is loving that thing, but right on anonymous. Uh huh. I can understand why this one's anonymous. <laughs> Oh, uh, this next one, not anonymous. This is from Kaylin, otherwise known as Wolfie's side chick he doesn't know about with a big ah. smiley face. Beanie Babies. I love that, that you guys, that she says this, that calls him Beanie Babies. Okay, Beanie Babies, no wedding invite yet, but I wanted to say thank you for reading my confession on the podcast. I was having a pretty tough week mentally, emotionally with work. I work for a local courthouse in a slowly flipping blue county in Pennsylvania, wonderful, where at times it can be hard to deal with the entitled attorneys or defendants. Nothing like picking up the phone at 9 a.m. to be screamed at by a human because they didn't pay their speeding ticket because, you know, it's my fault. Insert eye roll. I think I want to have drinks with this person. Uh, Caitlin, yeah. So, when I heard my confession, it put me on a permanent grin on my face all day. Thank you, exclamation, 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 exclamation. P.S. Still in love with Wolf, and he doesn't know I exist.
0: Yeah, yesterday she wrote in. She's in love with Wolf Blitzer.
4: You know, hey, we all have our vices during the pandemic. (laughs) We do. He's a handsome guy. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, she's like, even though he's 89 million years old and I'm 33, he's still super hot. Some people are into archives. Archives? Is that what you said?
4: That's, that, yeah, but I don't think that's the right word.
0: <laughs> I go, I don't know about you, but I hang out at the National Archives to hit on people. I'm looking. Yeah,
4: it's an, it's an archives. <laughs> Aren't these things like old things that are, no, what are those called? <laughs> <laughs> There's a word. Antiques? Someone write in, give a compliment, correct me, and then end it with a compliment.
0: Your love today. Oh, goodness. Next up from Melissa in Canada, pronouns she and her, update, had a Thanksgiving dinner Monday night with my mom's parents and my sister and my parents and everything seemed to go fine. Nobody was sick. Everyone had a good time. Excellent, Melissa. I'm glad to hear that. Easy. Simple. Super glad to hear that. I love it. Oh, you get the next one. It's long.
4: All right. This next one is from Kirsten Z, pronouns she and her. Hi, Leguminati. I'm on the steering committee of the Pennsylvania Indivisible, and I want to throw out some love to all the hard work that, um, that the folks in our local Indivisible groups, big and small, are doing to make sure we turn... P.A. Blue. In particular, I want to highlight the works of the folks in the Indivisible Lambertville, New Hope Chapter. I love New Hope. It's a cute little city. A group that straddles the Delaware River and has folks in both New Jersey and P.A. The 50 or so volunteers that that group have sent sent out over 70,000 postcards to voters this election season and are still working at it up until the last moment and I continue the Indivisible Philadelphia chapter has done an amazing job reaching out to voters to get them signed up for vote by mail awesome they announced last night that they and all the allies they have brought on board to help have sent out a half a million postcards to voters since they started their work earlier this year jesus i also have an ask now listen i know it's brutal that i have to divide that we have to divide our attention while we're in the midst of the most important election of our lifetime but we do have to keep pressing our senators on this SCOTUS hearing process. As Amy Klobuchar pointed out yesterday, we, the American people, must keep the pressure on Republican senators to have a chance to avoid having a third Trump Supreme Court justice. We here in PA are using the hashtag, hashtag to me to pressure him. If you see it online, please retweet it and call your own GOP senators as well every day, even if you have already told them how you feel. You must keep on the pressure. Spend five minutes a day on it, please. P.S. I've included a pick of the wonderful postcards Philly Indivisible have been using, as well as a picture of my newly adopted mm. dog, Honey. It was a rare <laughs> napping moment. Usually she's moving around too fast to get an unblurred pick. Oh, my goodness. Oh, look. These postcards are awesome, first of all. I love that design.
0: She's sleeping. She has her own pillow. And she has honey. her own pillow.
4: I know. She looks like she has more comfortable bed than right? I do. You know what I was thinking, Allison? Like, I doubt when you call in to talk to your senator, they're, I mean, I guess maybe they take your name and stuff, but I feel like all of the Democrats should start calling the Republican senators and being like, look, I voted for you in the last election, but you're not getting my vote if you vote for the Supreme Court pick. <laughs> like, do you really think they're going to research who this person voted for in the last election they don't have time
0: no no i don't even know if they have time to listen to what you called with
4: exactly (laughs) so you just start calling in and being like listen i'm one of your republican constituents i voted for you last time i'm not voting for you again if you push this through (laughs) i don't know we gotta figure out some tricks
0: yep uh all right next up from Will. No pronouns given. And I'm going to do the next two here because they're kind of relatively short. Will says, I voted got- I voted early in Texas this morning. The Putin-Trump ticket and their Republican enablers did not suppress my vote. Catch the blue wave. Sweet. Thank you, Will. Nice. Uh, hope you didn't have to wait in line too long. Next oh, up, God. I mean, Harris County, and they, they the, uh, you know, just today, uh, this, the in the middle of the night, the Fifth Circuit said that Abbott can keep just one drop-off box in every county in texas including harris county
4: one drop box they were showing the line at 5 a.m mm-hmm. cars lined up yeah. everywhere Eight hundred
0: and fifty thousand voters in that county alone and 97 97 so percent of them are registered to vote and so it's going to take for mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, next up maddie pronouns she and her hi y'all potentially good news. I'm from Boise, Idaho. We've always been a red state, mostly from the gerrymandering of my county, but there's a chance we can become more blue. In 2016, we had the biggest turnout from the Dem Caucus in the United States for Bernie, also that year, Paulette Jordan ran against our shitty governor and sadly lost, but now she's running against Rish, who is an ancient and can't seem to stay awake during his job. It's one of those archives you were talking about. Yes, uh, yes, old. So. He refuses to debate her and does literally nothing to help the people of Idaho, so fingers crossed that Paulette can win and we can make steps in the right direction. Also, here's a picture of my new pup, Winnie. Thanks for all you do, keeping me sane through this dark joke of a presidency.
4: Oh, give me a break. Don't ever leave Winnie alone with me. I will steal her and her antlers. Yes.
0: I want everything in this photo. Boyfriend's
4: cute, too, Maddie. Mm-hmm. Or whoever that person is. Could be your brother. Mm-hmm. And then now it's awkward comment. But yeah, he's <laughs> super cute, too. Mm, that dog is so cute. All right. Moving on. We got another one. We got good news from Alex. Pronouns he and him. Hi, A-G been a fan for over a year and just wanted to share that as a a dual citizen living in Mexico, I went yesterday to deposit my absentee ballot at the U.S. consulate in my city and found a huge line to do so. Many dual citizens live here. Not surprising. Uh, When asking about the delay, I found out that the security guards at the consulate were rejecting absentee ballots from being dropped off for lack of information, quote-unquote, on the delivery envelopes. I put my Mark Elias... Elias Mm -hmm. fix that one for me
0: Mark Elias yeah
4: all right good yep I put my Mark Elias uh, parentheses attorney who specializes in election law and voting rights hat on and went to the front of the line to argue with the guards and showed them pictures of envelopes being dropped off at drop points all over the U.S. and the world they eventually relented and everyone about 10 of us uh were able to drop their votes I asked the guard to let the rest of the shifts know that they what they were doing was illegal and he promised to do so Small gain in the sand, but hopefully many votes will be dropped off now and not discouraged. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Alex.
0: Yes, Alex, put on your Mark Elias hat. If you aren't following Mark Elias, he's got like 40 lawsuits going right now to protect voting, access to voting. Wow. Um, a lot. And he is he's an incredible attorney. So follow him on, on, uh, on Twitter if you're not, Mark E. Elias. Uh, next up, Alexis, uh, pronoun she and her. My good news, actually... Just a text message exchange with my sister. For context, my sister is a 40-something elementary school teacher. For the record, I do not condone, condone stealing people's yard signs. All right, this looks like a script that you and I get to read. Um, okay, I'm ready. A.G. and D.G. present text message theater. Today, the part of sister will be played by A.G. And the part of me will be played by D.G. D.G.
4: I've been preparing for this role my entire life. Let's do
0: this. Okay. Now, what is my motivation in this scene? We're just going to go into it cold. We're just going to go cold. All right. (laughs) Unique (laughs) New York. (laughs) Unique New York. Red leather, yellow leather. Okay, here we go. Sister, me. So, I was driving past a conservative neighbor of mine. She always has Republican signs outside at voting time and is politically active. So far, this season, she's only had one sign in her yard that said vote. So I was pleased. Our street has become well-known in town for all the Black Lives Matter and political signs. Anyway, I've had a long day and I was driving past her and I saw she was adding new signs to her yard. I was bracing myself for what her signs would say. I almost hit the brakes when I saw her signs. Two of them. For Biden. My mood was so much better after I saw that. If Carol can turn, (laughs) that gives me major hope for this election.
4: God, that's amazing. Wait. Is Carol the neighbor whose conservative lawn sign you drunkenly stole that time? (laughs) Your story is full of holes. Number
0: one, that was someone I did not know. Number two, I soberly premeditated that, but got up the nerve after a single drink. And three, by the time I got over there, the sign was already down or already been stolen. (laughs) (laughs) And And (laughs) seen.
4: Wonderful. Yay.
0: This has been Master Tweet Theater.
4: When you all nominate people for Emmys, I would like you to remember, Allison and myself, um on the podcast option
0: for your consideration yes thank you master tweet theater
4: actually was it tweets
0: or was it text master text theater doesn't sound yeah
4: master text yeah
0: if you have any exchanges you would like us to perform remember uh send them in to dailybeanspod.com and we'll get it done all right uh she says thanks for keeping us all sane this is the wrap up here laughing in these crazy times let's hope there are a lot more carols out there
4: more Carol's less Karen's. <laughs> that should be a bumper sticker. More Carol's less, less Karen. Karen's.
0: When I say more Carol's, you say less Karen's.
4: More Carol's. Less Karen's. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? Sometimes I forget people are listening and that this isn't just for us. I know, right? <laughs> And we have so many great
0: Karens. I remember when we used to bag on chads and some, we had a couple chads right in and say, I'm a good Chad. And and so we know there are good Karens. I just want to point that out.
4: Yeah, I do. I do get many comments from people that are like, oh, come on. Why'd you have to pick Karen? I'm like, I didn't pick it, Mm-mm. but I will perpetuate it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, we love Karens. Um, all right. Well, Everyone, thank you so much for sending in your good news, your confessions, and your corrections. There weren't any corrections today. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, and uh, thank you for the 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 text theater. That was fun. That was a nice back and forth.
4: That was. I would do it again with you. No, I'm still trying to think of the right word. That's what the a little bit of silence was. I'm like, it's not archives. <laughs> like when you're like when you're an archaeologist and you find something in a dig site, what is artifacts? artifact? Artifact. Ah, there we go. <laughs> I still don't think that's right. But Grassley would be more of an artifact than an, arch- yeah, I re- than an archive.
0: <laughs> I recommend if you're trying to figure out a word, say your question out loud or or Google it because halfway through your question or your Google, it will come to you. Like I remember yeah. at some point I was like, What is the nautical boat term for when you bail out a company? Oh, it's bailout. Like, the answer is in the question. That's funny. Um, But big thanks to everyone. It's like
4: a weird single person Jeopardy that we're doing with ourselves.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you know what's really weird, Dana? The reason I was Googling that is because it was a Jeopardy question. I shit you not.
4: Oh, see that it seems yep. Yeah, I just know these things. Okay.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Yep. Uh okay. Well, anyway, thanks to everyone supporting this on Patreon and now Supercast if you're not into Patreon for whatever reason. We have Supercast. And shout out to Nick over on the Isle of Man who made Saturday brunch this past weekend possible. Thank you, Isle of Man Nick. Um, if you want to join uh, Patreon, it's patreon.com slash dailybeanspod If you want to sign up on Supercast it's dailybeans.supercast.tech uh, So that's it for this week. Do you have any uh, final thoughts,
4: Dana? My my only thought is, is the Isle of Man next to the Isle of Lesbos because there is one of those as well and it's an island and I wonder if they hang out. Mm. No, probably not. They're probably actually not anywhere near each other now that I think about the messaging behind it they might have no I don't have any messages other than you know whenever you hear this there's probably a couple days left in the week so just take a deep breath Friday's coming happy hour uh, in your living room Mm -hmm. just be careful about the DUI checkpoint at the corner of your kitchen and hallway Mm -hmm. that's it just be careful (laughs) lots of of deep drinking at home my DUI
0: checkpoint is the cat who will give me a look you know Mm. oh nice I can tell I know what you've been doing it's probably all in my head, but it's fine. All right. Anyway, thank you so much, uh, Dana. We will talk to you soon. It was great to have you on today. And everyone, until uh, tomorrow, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G.
4: And I have been D.G. And them's the beans.
0: The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.